I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog here in Newport Beach, California, where it is not sunny today, but I am with my friend that always has a sunny look on his face, Mr. Sean Latimer. That was good. Oh, you like that? That was really good. Get my radio voice. (laughs) People say I got a face for radio. How are you doing this morning, Sean? Doing great. We're going to talk about an article that I wrote today called Foever. What do you you think of... Your son, when you say it now, but but you think of Sandlot. That's exactly what I think of. <laughs> As think... I was reading it every time, what is that? Squints, squints, forever. That's all I'm thinking squints of the whole time. Squints, Paladora, right. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I wrote this article. Um, basically, how kids are the best. Uh, sometimes when you have little kids, preschoolers, toddlers, right? When they get angry, it can be pretty funny and adorable at the same time. So uh, my oldest son uh, that we have at home. He has a habit when he gets angry. He kind of crosses his arms. He, you know, puffs up his bottom lip, kind of stomps his foot. And then I look at him, I'm like, hey, what's wrong? And he goes, you know what? I'm going to be angry forever. <laughs> and so in our house, we have this joke about forever because he, he has a tendency to say that. Uh, and he means it. And uh, what I talked about in the intro of the article is that from a preschooler's paradigm, right, they take the current emotion that they're feeling and they just project it out into perpetuity. So uh, they have this habit of thinking that everything is going to be forever. And then does he get more mad that you start to laugh and he's all upset? <laughs> yeah, I start to I start to say forever, forever, ever. <laughs> You know, like yeah, the song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, he does start to get angry. But I said, hey, that's familiar if you're reading it. But do you know that it's also familiar for investors? It is. It's sad that people who you will talk to for endless amounts of time about financial planning and long-term vision in the same breath can ask, well, what's our short-term focus? Or what are we doing about this or doing about that? And they hate me for that answer, that the answer is nothing. You know, in the, in the short term, these things are going to come and go. Yeah, I met with a potential client yesterday, and I told them a lot of folks that reach out to us, they are coming from a different advisory relationship. And sometimes they'll be like, hey, Trevor, like you won't believe what they told me last time when markets were doing this. Like, Just brace yourself. The guy or the gal actually told me that I just need to stay the course. Can you believe them? Yeah, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> what are we going to say? Yeah, because yeah. I know here at the Bonsu Group, uh, we build – the words that I use is we build a financial plan that kind of keeps you in that strategic lane, right? Like, hey, what should you own? How should the portfolio be designed based on how markets behave over the long term? Now, in the short run, we write an article every week about how we might be tactical or opportunistic or things like that. But most of our time is spent in that strategic lane, which goes with that kind of stay the course line. Yeah, I think the the weirdest comment I get off is I know I know there's no time in the market, but I'm sure there's things that you can do that we can avoid these big swings in my portfolio. I'm like, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I wish I had the answer, but I wouldn't be in those conversations if I did, because I'd be a very, very wealthy man and not sharing any of my secrets with anybody. Yeah, exactly. And we've talked about this. You can be tactical, but if you're really trying to time the market, you'd be going to big swings to all cash or treasuries and then big swings back into equities. It, It wouldn't be, you know, trimming or adding here and there. Yeah. As we've talked about, I'm always looking for the right word. So I say that we make moves on the fringes. 
right? I used to say we make moves on the margin, but margin means something different yeah, yeah, in finance. Yeah, it's going to confuse people. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm like, we make moves on the fringes, right? So things that we think will be additive, but they won't make or break the financial plan. So I would never want to mislead somebody that you know we have this secret ingredient that tells us exactly when to make these wholesale changes right or left. But one of the things I tried to focus on in this article is there's two topics in finance that I know you and I spent the last decade or so trying to convince people to care about these things, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like irrelevant to them. They wouldn't even engage in conversation, yet it is all that captivates folks' minds today. And that is the two I words, we'll say inflation and interest rates. Yeah, it's funny. We spend countless hours talking about you know, you shouldn't leave this much in cash. Interest rates are so low. With inflation, you're going to lose your buying power over time. And people almost laughed at us. They're like, oh, okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Now, that's all I want to talk about. What does this mean? The Fed, uh, interest rates, inflation, what are we going to do? Yeah. And that's where I kind of threaded the article together is because I do have people. And again, this sounds derogatory, but I say it in humor. So just laugh with me. But I do have people that have that preschooler paradigm where they're like, interest rates are going to go up forever and inflation's going to go up forever. And I wrote this article to say, that is not true. And you have to be really careful. Uh, you know, we use more eloquent words in finance, we could say recency bias or something of the nature. But you need to be really careful on what you're projecting in perpetuity in the future, mm-hmm. um, based on what you're seeing around you today. Yeah, that's a good point. And we were talking about this the other day because I I even fall victim of it. There's sometimes people out there that have debt on a a line of credit and the rate is adjusting. And as rates increase, you look at it and go, oh, man, well, okay, when when do we go? When do we get to the point where maybe we shouldn't have that debt? And you look at the benefits of having the money invested at the same time. And you brought up a really good point that we'll maybe zoom out and look at what the effective rate is and then what the future expected effective rate compared to the investment results. And that was really helpful for me because if you zoom out a few years, oh, yeah, it was still a no-brainer. And if you zoom out a few years in the future, we don't know what could happen, but it definitely changed my paradigm when I thought of it that way, depending on what interest rates do in the future because they won't go up forever. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) Now, so what you're saying right now is the greatest benefit I get from writing thoughts on money because when I am trying to digest these things and develop what my perspective is – I'm convincing myself. Mm -hmm. So when I wrote about marginal and effective, when I wrote about here, and I'll help our listeners, all marginal means is what you're going to pay on the next dollar. What effective means is if you averaged out the cost over all the dollars. So tax rates, you might say your marginal tax rate is 24%, but that doesn't mean that you're paying 24% of your total income. It means on the last dollar you made, you paid 24 cents. The effective rate might be something like 15 or 16 percent when you average in um, throughout all the different tax brackets. Again, I know that's not easy to comprehend over a podcast, but the point that I was making is that, yes, the Federal Reserve, and we'll talk about why, is raising interest rates. So, yes, like Sean said, if you have an existing line of credit, you are paying more interest today than you were yesterday. But... Did you consider that when you started that line of credit where the interest rate was? Or maybe in your financial plan, you mapped it out to pay it over 7 to 10 years? So have we thought about where will interest rates be over the next 7 to 10 years? Now, again, I'm not saying I have the crystal ball, but I am saying it's worthwhile 
having those conversations rather than making this snap judgment that I need to remove that debt ASAP. Yeah, and I think you're going to talk about later, but it goes into the same argument of choosing short-term investments because of current interest rates and then uh, projecting that out compared to your financial plan that does maybe solve a problem for the short term, but what do you do after that or the rest of your life? Yes. I want to spend some time on this podcast talking about how I think we got to this point, but what you you just hit the nail on the head. The entire reason I wrote the article, it's actually towards the back of the article, is that, hey, if I, Trevor, recommend that you take on debt for a new home purchase, uh, am I crazy? I am not. And I can walk you through why I would recommend that, perhaps in the right situation, even in this current environment. Now, if you come to me, again, Trevor, and I'm operating as your advisor, and you say, hey, I want to sell everything and buy a two-year treasury because it's really attractive right now. I'm saying that because people are saying this, uh, and I reject that idea. I am not crazy. Uh, And I walk through the article is I get it that people like the certainty when the world feels uncertain and when they can lock in 4%. But I'm going to tell you right now, most financial plans I'm creating are leaning on an expectation of returns of 6 or 7%. So if you're signing yourself up for a guaranteed 4%, you have a shortfall. So even if you did that and you held it to maturity, you're going to have to come up with something of what you're going to do from there. And you have to get even a little bit higher rate of return then to make up for what you lost in the next two years. That is not me saying that real estate will be better than a two-year treasury over the next two years or stocks will be better than a two-year treasury. What I'm saying is you have to go back to the financial plan and make decisions based on the objectives you outlined, not on your current feeling. So that was the entire reason I wrote the article because those two questions about why would I take on debt and why in the world am I not putting all my money in treasuries, I had to answer those questions. I feel like I messed up and jumped to like the end of the book. No, you're fine. (laughs) But uh, it is a good point. And you kind of put the disclaimer that is there an appropriate place for those treasuries in your portfolio? Probably, right? There's a lot of people that hold some sort of reserves or cash portion in their allocation. So there is absolutely an appropriate place. But to go and overhaul your portfolio where you're changing equities or stocks to treasuries, I I agree with you. And it's so... Because you and I sit in such an interesting seat, and I think this more and more as we record these podcasts uh, and write these articles, the interesting position that you and I have is we just talk to investors all day long. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good vantage point. It's very different than maybe somebody that is on financial media every day or maybe somebody who sits behind the scenes and is a financial analyst. We actually talk to the investors every day. So we get those common questions. And what I've um, realized, and hopefully this makes sense, is the more uncertain markets feel, the more certain you and I can be about exact questions we're going to get. Yeah, if markets that's true. If markets are good and friendly, uh, we're getting curveballs. Right. Because the curveballs are going to be unique to that person's situation. Right. They have to pick up everything and, and move to... Arkansas because of a job change. Okay, got to do planning for that. Or something, you know, there's a loss in the family. It's unique to that person. When markets are peaking in the feeling of uncertainty, you and I can predict every single question we're going to get, which reminds us how common human behavior is across all investors. Yeah, I feel like people kind of do homework too. So if they're feeling uneasy, they don't always just pick up the phone and call you or I right away. They may go online or they may go to some Reddit forum. They may turn on the TV, see financial headlines. And then you're right. I get an email and they go, hey, I'm pretty you know, nervous about things. I'd love to set up a call. And if I had five guesses, I bet I could get whatever their biggest concern was. And 
Yeah, I like how you said the other time, it's curveballs. When markets are good and they're like, hey, I really need to talk to you, something happened. I'm kind of like, whoa, all right, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see where the conversation goes. But uh, I I like how you laid out in the article too, like how maybe we got to this point. So maybe you should dive into that. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that. And I appreciate you bringing us back because we did go from the (laughs) end end back to the middle. But it is funny when you're saying that because you, as an advisor, you have to get in the habit of biting your tongue. Because you want to finish their sentence. Right. And that's a horrible way to be oh, a good it's, listener. It's such a bad... So when you're listening, sometimes if you're on the phone, not on Zoom, maybe you're mouthing exactly what is going to be said next. And it's not... Again, we laugh about it here because that's the only thing you can do. Markets are crazy. It's very difficult as human beings to be great investors. So sometimes you just got to laugh about it. It's not pointing the finger. It's not making fun of anybody. It's just all in good humor. But... Since those questions are so common, you kind of feel like the other person is going to get there. They think, ah, it's a weird way because it sounds almost combative, but they're about to give you a zinger. From your posture, you're like, oh, really? You didn't think like five other people right. came with the same conclusion and the same question uh, within the last 48 hours. So I am not an economist um, and I don't have an expertise in kind of what's going on in the macro. So what I tried to lay out in the article where you're leading me is hey, let's just close our eyes. Let's go back in time into a not-so-distant past. So let's go to 2020, which it feels like it was ages ago, right? feels like forever ago. Forever ago. But March of 2020, or whenever it was, was, maybe it was April, but there was kind of this mandate to stay in place, to lock yourself in your house where you started this quarantine. Because you were quarantined, um, you didn't travel. I remember for our family, the trip we were supposed to go on, we go to spring training every year, mm-hmm. um, and we canceled it at the final hours because they were canceling the baseball games. Yeah. So people didn't travel. It was difficult to dine out because those- Restrictions the, and, yeah. Exactly. They, they started, you probably weren't going to the mall, so you weren't like naturally window shopping. Uh, you weren't going to movie theaters. You weren't doing miniature golf or, or these other things that were COVID inappropriate. So naturally, I think, my theory- is I think naturally uh, most people spent less money. I think if you go look at the charts, you'll see that personal savings rates right. um, peaked pretty hard. Just for fun, I remember looking at, this is somebody who loves finance, just for fun. This is the type yeah, of thing yeah, they yeah. do. I, I reviewed like six months of my credit card statements, and I was really surprised that we were spending 20% less during that quarantine time. And what I thought during that moment, I'm like, whew, that's not good. Because usually that, that 20% that was actually staying in our bank account, it was getting put into the system, right? right? It was buying popcorn and hot dogs and taking my kids to, to the zoo and, and things like that. We weren't doing any of those things. But there's also a secondary thing, which is like what I would say is psychological, is we were all amped up ready to do those things, mm-hmm. right? We all felt like we were on house arrest. So we there's this like pent up feeling of wanting to do something. So then for me, that paints the picture of the consumer, Right, And then on the other end, there's a business. And a lot of my friends are business owners. And all they wanted to do during that COVID moment? Survive. Survive. They just wanted to survive. So what they had to do is they had to make adjustments. Hey, how much inventory am I going to keep on hand? What am I going to do for production? Am I going to slow down production because the demand isn't there? Because, you know, Trevor's spending 20% less. They had to think supply chains. Hey, I might have been getting X, Y, and Z from this country that has different policies that they don't look like they're going to open back up. And we saw some big changes for like large phone producers and mm-hmm. things like that. So from my perspective, now you have three parties. You have the consumer, you have the business, 
And then you have the government. What did the government do? PPP loans, stimulus, like they were throwing money at folks that weren't ready to spend it. Right. So then you have like this psychological pent up demand, businesses that are not ready to meet that demand when the faucet gets turned back on. And then people with a lot of extra money, money that they saved in 2020, and then also just stimulus money. So for me, it's not a critique of any sort of policy. We'll leave that to David Bonson. He's much more intelligent than me. He's written extensively on that. All I'm saying is that no large macro decision like telling us to quarantine comes without some sort of consequence. And now, 2021, things start to open back up, right? Mm -hmm. Was the mask mandate pulled in 2022? Maybe it was 2022. At some point, the mask mandate at airports was pulled. So then everybody's psychology started to change. I can go out and do things. I can have fun. So pent-up demand with a lot of extra money and businesses that were not naturally prepared, it kind of created this bump where there was a lot of money chasing too few of goods. And in finance, we call that inflation. That was summed up very well. You like that. Yeah, I, I, was, I knew you were going to ask me to say something right after, and I'm like, nope, that's good. to say. No. No, it, do, it does make sense, though, because you would think that companies make those same adjustments to increase productivity. But like you said, it's not just like turning on a faucet. And with manufacturing changing, different countries are now doing like quadruple the amount of manufacturing. Like I, I, I could be wrong, but I think Mexico is now one of the leading manufacturers because China stopped in certain, like you said, development of, you know, semiconductors and cell phones and all those, all that good stuff, which is kind of amazing to think that, okay, I don't know how long it would take to move an assembly line or move production from one country to another, but it takes time. And then what will ultimately happen is new people will enter that world because there's a lower, if there's a lower barrier of entry and there will be an increase in inventory and supply, which will bring prices down. And then they'll have the same problem. Then there'll, be, then there'll be too much of things. Yeah, like the one thing that we know about humans is that they're extremely adaptable, right? So you and I love sports. So could you lose your best athlete on your team and still be competitive? Yes. If you lose them deep into the playoffs, it's going to be a lot harder. You don't have much time to adapt. Mm -hmm. If you lose them towards the beginning of the season, you got a, a lot of time to reconfigure. What I talked about in the article, which I think will only relate to you and I, it's definitely the first thing that came to mind is we play basketball together. Mm -hmm. And there's times when we're playing upstairs at Equinox in the basketball gym where the lights go out. Yeah. And we're all like, oh, no, somebody has to go downstairs, tell the front desk to turn the lights on. Now, we know when the lights go off, they go off instantly. But what happens when they turn on? They don't come on instantly. No. There are these big industrial lights that I even mentioned in the article. You hear them hum before you see them flicker. So you hear that they're working, but they're not producing anything yet. So I don't remember how long it takes, but it takes like five or seven minutes yeah. till they're actually on. So for me, that reminded me of the economy. Like you can switch it off quickly. You can make the room dark, but turning it on is not the exact same. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about basketball and then the lights do take forever to come back on. But no, it is true. I've never seen a time where things are just completely shut down. And although it was two years ago, it wasn't like things were just turned back on and everything was back to normal. It's been an interesting two years where it's still around. Yeah, and the, the other thing too is that when there was these heavy stimulus packages and these high personal savings rates, it wasn't like there wasn't people on financial television saying, hey, the next chapter of this book is inflation. There was. I remember, I don't, I, I don't know the exact date, but I remember uh, Jeremy Siegel from... 
Wharton. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote the book Stocks for the Long Haul. Sorry, I think that's the university he teaches at Pennsylvania. But uh, I remember him going on TV and said, hey, like the next chapter of this book is inflation. We're going to see inflation. And he talked about numbers at like 5 or 6%. So he was underestimating it. But nobody was talking about inflation. But he was basically saying that's the next chapter of the book because of all these things that have happened. Now, it's easy in me and for me in hindsight to lay it out in this article. But then you also have to remember that when inflation happens, that's another domino. And then there's another reaction. So then the Federal Reserve, who's the central bank, they are meant to do two things. They tell you very clearly that they have a dual mandate. Uh, in the article, I call it a dueling mandate because sometimes these things uh, can kind of be a, uh, at opposition with one another, but they want stable prices and maximum employment. So are prices stable right now? They're not. Mm-mm. That's what inflation is, unstable prices. So they're going to throw the kitchen sink to try to stabilize prices. What are they going to do? They're going to raise interest rates. As they do that, they are essentially, and I'm going to give you the next chapter of the book, they're going to impact employment. Right. So if unemployment was at 3.5% when they started, it's going to tick up. Then there's going to be some sort of breaking point where they get inflation to where they want it to be, and they've pushed unemployment a little higher than they'd like, and then they're going to reverse course. So when we talk about, hey, could it make sense for someone to finance on a variable rate? I mean, it could, because it seems likely that if you play these chapters out over the next two or three years, it seems like interest rates are going to head back to where their 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 kind of natural position is. And, and I think if you slow down to understand the ripple effect of all these things, and again, I hate to use this term because it almost sounds derogatory, but it is the collateral damage of keeping everybody at home for a year. These are the impacts. And now you as an investor have to look at where's the personal application. Well, you're going to have to deal with inflation and interest rates, and you're going to have to figure out how do I get those two things to not be a gigantic distraction or a greater distraction than they need to be, and how do I not let them pull me off course to what my financial plan is. And one thing that you've said in the past too is if you are going to make adjustments to the plan or if something needs to be changed, you need to do it in a time that is somewhat normal. And one thing we can agree on is that this year has been abnormal. Yeah, it's a great point. And we use that word like tranquil or something like that. We, we, we try to project this idea of like, hey, if you close your eyes and you're in a mammoth at the lakes and it's just glassy and like smooth, you're like, okay, those are the times that you'd want to make a change. Not what's going on in Florida right now, right? Think about all the anxiety in Florida, this natural causes of damage that's coming. You know, I have a friend this morning that called and uh, dad's roof was completely pulled off or, or something of that nature. So those are not the times that is not the economic weather condition that you want to make. Again, we always use this word, but like wholesale changes to your strategy. You sat down with a good head on your shoulders at some point, uh, rolled up your sleeves with an advisor. You guys went shoulder to shoulder. You penned a financial plan, and you decided a portfolio that was appropriate. You have to be really careful about not turning that light switch off and deciding that portfolio all of a sudden is not appropriate. Yeah, just because the way you feel today is different than the way you felt yesterday. So we'll end with this. I, I wrote it at the end. Interest rates will not go up forever. Inflation will not go up forever. And that is a very simple and direct claim, which I usually don't say those type of things. I usually say things like it depends or whatnot. So I'm giving you a, a very direct statement and I'm encouraging you 
to not adopt the preschoolers paradigm and to really press in with your financial advisor to say what is most appropriate for what I'm trying to achieve in my financial plan. Hope you enjoyed the article. Comments uh, and questions are always welcome. You can reach either of us, that is Sean or Trevor, at tom at thebonsagroup.com. Easy email, T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. We'll ask that you rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. You can leave comments when you rate the podcast. And, um, of course, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on money. Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.